0: Paul House, This is Caroline from Daily Review.
1: This is Paul from Daily Review.
2: This is Mike from Pop Culture Review, and we're talking about the Outsider Podcast, Episode 5, Teardrinker. This episode was written by Richard Price and directed by Andrew Bernstein.
1: We have so many POVs in this episode. That really threw me for a loop in this one because most of the other episodes have been pretty focused on Ralph, uh, lately Holly, Terry originally, but this one just spreads it out. It
2: really hit everyone, I think. Even Jeannie finally got in the action.
1: If this was a longer running show and you were gonna do that again later that would make sense but just to kind of do it once and then maybe Jason Bateman takes the reins again next episode which I don't know I'm just guessing and then it resembles the the first four episodes again <laughs> that just feels like a unintentional kind of shift in the way that they're telling the story
0: well speaking of spreading it around and there is a lot of spreading going on at the Peaches crease let's start off with Claude I was really surprised to see him back were you guys
1: I have recently finished the book and I'm not going to say anything other than they are changing his story. I'm almost positive. And so whenever I see him, I am very interested to see what they're doing with him. To me, it looked like he was kind of remembering the scratch. The suggestion last week was that he had been scratched when Ralph asked him and he was like, no, I don't remember being scratched. But this week it was sort of a combination of like a... It's like the- it was
0: bothering him. Like he was yeah. sitting there like thinking it like, was I scratched? Was it a scratch? Let me think back. Did it seem like he was almost like drunk or hallucinating or was this, that's what I was like, gonna say the way it was like kind of shaky and blurry sometimes
1: has said that he goes to every kind of anonymous that they offer <laughs> says he's a super clean guy even though he has the job that he has if it isn't a substance like a drug or alcohol what could account for the weird blurry shifty point of view that he had. Huh?
2: I still think the creature, the goo man, the outsider, El Coco, he's still trying to fight for control over Claude. I think he still hasn't been able to nest inside of Claude. And I think this was a little bit of that. Being reminded of it, the conversation with Ralph, I think it maybe brought it up again.
0: Good way to ask this question to you guys. I feel like we've seen like four different forms of this entity called Goo Man. So he has come across in different ways and it's Mr. Gooman. Mr. Gooman to the rest of us. It's pronounced Gouman. Um, so <laughs> On the
2: coasts, it's called Goumen. <laughs> in the heart Gooman. of America, it's called Gouman. If Gooman. you're south,
0: it's Gouman.
2: Gouman. That's, okay. that's the French Creole pronunciation. Gouman.
0: So we have this like whooshing sound that I could best describe as like the smoke monster. That like kind of sound that happens in the barn. It happens in the woods. It happens at Heath's house when we head over there. There's this like wishing kind of air kind of feeling that seems to be around. Then we have this like bubbling on the neck virus-y kind of form. More on like a cellular level, Gooman is somehow affecting. There was several people that I feel like, I don't know if Claude is going to be one of those people. We have the bedmaker guy and Jack as in those forms. Then we have our human form but it's like the droopy face dude with the hood, when his face is all melting off. And then you have the human form of like a recognizable familiar person that he's taking. Is Claude perhaps introducing us to another form of maybe just psychic kind of power? Something he's in your thoughts or he's plaguing you anxiety-wise?
2: I think Mr. Guman's Mr. attempt for Claude was to body double him the way he did Maria, Keith, Terry. For whatever reason, I don't think it hasn't, hasn't taken, and I think at this point time-wise, like incubation period based on everything else we've seen, I don't think it's going to take hold with him versus the controlling... The person uh, aspect of him, yeah, the the rash on the neck, that seems to be a separate aspect of the goo man's power or control mechanism. But I think Claude was definitely an attempted gooing that just didn't take hold.
0: Interesting. Okay, so it's somewhere between like the human form, hoodie dude, or the whooshing, but he's not a...
2: Yeah, the, had at it, not a
0: familiar form yet.
2: Had it taken control, he would have slowly morphed into a Claude doppelganger. I think he kills Frankie Peterson looking like Terry. It's time to start moving on, which is consistent with how he did. Maria kills, then hooks up with Heath and scratches back. So he begins t- transforming into Heath. Heath kills the girl, scratches Terry. Goo Man starts turning into Terry right after the murder of the two girls is found. Terry Goo Man kills Frankie Peterson. He goes that same night to scratch Claude so he could start transforming into Claude because it's time to ditch the Terry face because he's going to get Terry arrested so he needs to move on his face. But for whatever reason, it didn't take.
0: So there's some sort of struggle, internal struggle with Claude right
2: now. I think so. I think so. I think that's exactly, I think he's hit a wall.
1: So you're thinking that Gooman or Gooman is more of a an entity that kind of moves from body to body rather than...
2: No, I think he becomes the person. I think he needs like the blood magic sacrifice with the scratch and getting their essence kind of in him that he doesn't become them. I think he just takes their form. I think he's probably some kind of natural clump of clay the way like Jessa describes him being mushy and unformed the way we saw him at the courthouse. I think that's probably closer to his normal natural state like something in between.
0: See, I think he degrades further than that. I think his like true form is that more that whooshing is not tangible, and, and when you're in that form of the droopy face guy, you're a deteriorating familiar person that continues to deteriorate until he can get to you know the next right. the next thing, the next body. But I think it goes all the way down to that whoosh, like that's like the last thing that's there, and I think that's the first thing that comes in.
2: Yeah, I mean, that could be. There's definitely support for that. I think the point being that he's he's hit a wall. In who he's supposed to be transforming into next Mm -hmm. because as far as we know, no one recently has been scratched.
0: So talking about somebody who's definitely like hit a wall, let's talk about Jack. Let's get into him and where he's at right now. This complete tantrum that he throws after dragging the deer into the woods and finding that his stuff was not appreciated, you guys. The time he spent picking out the lamp and the other thing, he is pissed that these offerings have not been accepted. What did you guys think about the idea that a tear drinker, something that enjoys causing grief, would get riled up somehow by Jack yelling at him? Does that make sense? Like, wouldn't he want Jack to be anxiety ridden and pissed?
1: I think there's a difference between uh, drinking up grief akin to the kind of grief that, you know, death in the family generates versus the kind of unrest an unruly child generates in your, you know, living room. And that's more, I think, what Jack was to him, a noisy underling.
0: And maybe it's more like anger that he is expressing, which maybe is not. If you're a tear yeah. drinker, anger and grief are not the same thing. No. So when he's like screaming, like, what's happened to me, cocksucker, like all that stuff, I mean, he egged him on. Whatever that wind thing was, like, came like smoke monster style knocked him on his ass and you know really right it really that's exactly how i felt though like do you guys remember from the ads of the smoke monster i was actually very scared of the concept of the smoke monster coming along once it actually happened and then now having watched lost i know it's a total tangent but
2: do you know what made that sound i know this has become a become a popular piece of trivia
1: taxi cab meter
2: yeah the new york city taxi cab meter when it would like print up your receipt
1: what you're referring to caroline is when dead people would appear Unlost. There would usually be a, whoosh. and then. <laughs> well, I'm
0: talking about all of it. I'm talking about the whole concept of the of the whooshing and the and the smoke monster, though. When it actually like would show itself in a little bit more of a tangible form, but that whole idea of like watching the the trees like move mm-hmm. and it being like oh, like it wigged me out so much. I was really surprised to have that sort of entity though come into where Jack is standing in the woods, and then all of a sudden just something just kind of whooshes by and gets him.
2: I took it kind of like like a basic power play. Like bitch, you work for me. Let's not forget that
0: don't come to the woods and question me yeah
2: you know if I don't like your tacky ass taste in lamps I'm gonna smash your shit you just have to deal with that like shut the fuck up and do what I tell you to you know or else I'll put your face in the ground by the way that's the minimal that I can do to you. I've already made your back of your neck look like a third degree sunburn. Don't fuck with me.
1: And in, in the book, Jack is mostly uh, a Stephen King quasi-villain. Just sort of mindlessly hateful of everything. Whereas this scene and like the baby shower scene, not the baby party scene, but the baby sh- baby being born scene, yeah, make you, make you realize that there are parts of Jack that make him likable in some ways.
0: There's still a little bit of a conflict of who he is and what this thing is making him do. That and, and that is like what goes hand in hand with our bedmaker guy later. He is actually trying to be careful at the baby party. So let's talk about that for a second. So Jack goes to Tamika's baby party. There's a lot of interaction between him and Tamika. It really made me realize just what you're saying, Paul, that like Jack does care. He absolutely cares about Tamika. He doesn't want to hold the baby because he doesn't want the baby to get hurt in any way. I was really enthusiastic about the idea that Tamika was going to follow up on this. Yes, somebody clue in to Jack. Do you Do Do you guys think that she's actually going to follow through? Or is this outsider in the house going to freak her out enough to kind of stifle it?
1: Great question. With there not being a million episodes left, even though they spent some time with Tamika as a point of view character, I got to imagine like having a new baby and all that. She's got to step back, (laughs) you know, from the main thrust of the plot. She's got to be on maternity leave still. I don't know how she would figure into more central plot.
2: She can be an interesting counterbalance to presumably how Jeannie and Ralph and anyone else, Goo Man goes to visit or like he did Jessa to to tell them to like back off and warn them you know Tamika taking this opportunity you know a new mother you know scared for her baby already having this dream quote unquote dream of uh, the goo man in the room with the baby it would make a lot of sense to me if she does back off if she does kind of recede into herself a little bit and just you know circles the wagons on her and her newborn you know you always expect your heroes in shows no matter what the danger is no matter what the they're warned against may happen to them they still proceed forward, right? And I, mm-hmm. you know, based on this episode, I don't see any way that Ralph doesn't continue to charge forward no matter how many threats are made against Genie or Genie relates threats to him. I think it would be an interesting thing to see Tamika back off. Because you have to think, of the goo man over his course of his his murderous career has probably had to do this before since he's still out and free. Presumably it works. So it would be interesting to see his intimidation work on someone that they do back off.
0: What did you guys think of the way that they actually shot that nightmare slash we don't know if someone's in the house scene where she comes and she has her gun drawn? Did you expect her to shoot? Because this to me seemed like classic. She shoots and kills the baby. Things spin out because it's all about these ripple effects. A guy mm-hmm. comes into our life and then suddenly friends and family and all these people are, are have these tragic situations that happen. Car accidents, what have you. Could that have easily spun into her killing her own baby and then likely committing suicide.
2: I had that thought only because I thought it would play out a little bit differently. I thought it would be a situation where she would be coaxed into firing her gun. You know, she's a cop. It made sense to me that she grabbed her gun. She raised it. I thought it was going to play out some somehow that she would fire and that the goo man, through his powers of whatever they are, would have put the baby in line somehow, like you said, and killed the baby, but in a way that wouldn't have made sense. Not like she would have fired into the crib downward, but that somehow the machinations would have been when all of a said sudden done and people found her there they would have been like how did you kill our baby in this kind of way you know somewhere to make her kind of look unhinged or something for firing okay. her gun to the baby's room which would have kind of further propelled the downward spiral so i was on the same wave like that you were snowball you know beginning to roll down the hill
0: because the, the Maitland situation is the only one where we don't have this rippling happening. It, we don't. And it, like they've showed us in Maria's situation and Heath's situation how things rippled out and other people got hurt and other people were sad and upset and other deaths happened. And with the Maitland situation, yes, we went towards the Peterson household, but it also affected the other side in the other stories. And so it seems like how is it that Glory and the girls and other people involved with the story here aren't getting more affected, aren't having more trouble. That,
2: that's a great question. And I've often thought, you know, trying to figure out who is affected and who's not. What makes Claude say, let's say Claude isn't affected, but everyone else got scratched and became affected. Glory and the girls aren't affected. What makes them special? That's the question I keep wondering about uh, is what's, what's making them different?
1: My guess is maybe you ha- you're you on to something in terms of the orchestration of the pass to the next hosty kind of guy, Claude. It's like maybe if like the sequence doesn't go quite as planned, then maybe the, the the whole machine gets off kilter.
0: The pattern gets broken, right? Yeah. And so once the pattern's broken, does that mean that the ripple effects that would normally play out somehow are having a hard time? I definitely thought that it was effective to have Tamika wake up in the morning and go in there and the baby baby wasn't in the crib and her like go rush. I mean, as a viewer, I was definitely like, oh, fuck. The outsider thing did take the baby. Did you guys think the baby was safe or did you think the baby was
1: gone? Gone. I didn't foresee anything about baby killing. I mean, it seems to make a little more sense that killing, accidentally killing her partner, who would have been about the same size as the outsider standing there would have been
0: Mm, so you thought a she could have mistaken it, like mistaken, I'm assuming that was her husband, I don't really know, mistaken that guy standing by the crib?
2: Right, mm-hmm. that
1: opens fire and shoots
2: him and kills him or and, and, and or the baby time, yeah.
0: That would have been a good shake-up to the situation. Did you guys think it was anticlimactic then, that the baby was just out on the porch and it was just like, bop, bop?
1: Kinda. I don't need the show to get darker, really. <laughs> you don't? <laughs> no, no. That's
0: interesting, okay. Because well, I mean, you're a, a Stephen King lover, like I yeah. feel like you always want it to get weird.
1: There's always some part of it where there's, Child killing or whatnot, but in this show we already have. <laughs> there's um, always
2: child killing. There's
1: always child killing, but in this case we already have a trail of what four or five dead kids. That's a, yeah. That's a pretty pretty good amount to, to kind of last <laughs> for. You
0: feel like that's enough, right? That's, that's the quota. Yeah.
1: Uh, but how many babies though? We I have got no th- babies. We
0: have, we have no
2: babies yet, <laughs> Paul. We need to get <laughs> God, some babies Paul. in that tally. That's a whole oh, empty God. category.
1: Holly only went to two cities. It's true, <laughs> is it true That's that
0: true. I am. I am kind of feeling more towards like that. Tamika is not going to let this lie. That her detective background. This is going to bother her, and that I, I don't think she's going to fade out. I do think she's going to end up somehow being part of foiling stuff that Jack's into. And let's get back to what Jack's into. We have him doing a couple things. He goes and he's actually staking out our four main... I don't know what to call them. I kept wanting to call them some sort of name. I call
2: call them the brain trust. That's how I refer to them in my notes. Okay,
0: so when you say that, you mean... Ralph,
2: Howie, Yoon, and Alec.
0: What did you guys think about Jack staking them out and obviously eyeing them up and trying to see what they're into? Does this make sense? Does an entity that can whoosh by and knock Jack over need a lackey to go physically watch these guys? Like, couldn't he just go whoosh and listen in the room?
1: Apparently, he does need these intermediaries because he's going through everyone except for Ralph himself to deliver this message to get off the case.
2: There is a theory from the book that there is an energy expenditure factor for the Gooman, for Guman, All of the things he does costs him some level of energy expenditure. So I don't know that he can actually go unlimited whoosh around and follow everyone Mm. and stalk everyone and be in everyone's baby's room, cops, wife's, you know, kitchens in the middle of the night. I don't know that he has an unlimited power to do that.
1: Maybe it also ties in, and this is probably really pushing the theory, but maybe it also has something to do with either training or mental fortitude or, or vulnerability or something of the intended intimidatee moving in on Jessa or a brand new mother or Jeannie, who I'm sure is a strong woman, lost a child, all that stuff, but she's not a trained detective used to seeing dead bodies, that sort of thing. All these people are maybe easier targets for that kind Kind of thing than Ralph, maybe. So maybe that is a roundabout way of explaining why Guman would need to to use this securitas route.
2: In my quest of trying to come up with what makes him pick on up some people and others, what makes you know certain people you know target for him. Thinking about Ralph. Thinking about again why glory. And the girls, but mostly Glory hasn't really been targeted for destruction. I think there is an aspect of susceptibility and or fear. So someone like Jack who before he was ever attacked in the barn, the few times that we had seen them, the immediate thought on this guy was, this is not a good guy. That was just kind of the instant read that the show wanted us, I think, to take on him. He's kind and of. Then- and I,
0: I want to jump in right there. So Jack, though, when Tamika was talking to him, and she was like, "What could be the problem?" and then she spouts off a bunch of stuff that Jack's been dealing with. She's like, "Is it your parents? Is it your health? Is it your divorce?" Like he's a really broken guy. He's got a lot of baggage, like grief baggage.
2: Yeah, but Ralph is a broken guy too. We've seen now two episodes in a row of Ralph having these heartbreaking flashbacks to the relatively recent death of his son. I think Jack is Dispossessed to be a piece of shit who is also broken. And I think Ralph is a generally stand up guy who is broken.
0: Well, I was going to compare Jack to Claude and say that because of Claude's occupation, the Gooman might have thought that Claude was going to be a very broken guy. And because he goes to, yeah, because he goes to all these support groups and because he actually is supported in all these different ways, he's actually not as broken as Gooman Mm -hmm. might have thought.
2: Welcome to my tinfoil hat club. Claude has found himself uh, Jesus, and I think that has given him a level of protection against this guy. You guys laughed a little bit when I suggested it, but I think kind of like Maria and her faith in God. I think the reason she's still alive when everyone else in her family died, it all goes back to the crevices in their heart. I think that's why Claude is still standing when everything else would say that he would be an easy target from I Kumar. don't remember
0: us laughing at your theory or anything well
2: I felt I felt some eye rolls across the distance <laughs> but that might have also been interference from my tinfoil hat
0: I think so how were you in some way
1: mocking Mike's idea I mean everything's on the table here as a I agree. book reader I've already mentioned that this is turning out different than the book. They've expanded characters in, and they've expanded what Gooman can and can't do. And There's a lot more that he can do here than he could in the book. Can he whoosh around? Can he be kind of in multiple states? Can he take different forms? It was kind of laid out in the book to be much more linear and much more concrete, even though he's made of goo, than I think they're going to use in the show. And that's that's kind of cool because then it makes it so that I have no idea what's going to come.
0: So in the saving energy idea, Jack showing up at Ralph's and asking him, you know, hey, I know that we've kind of been on the outs really you know we've never really been friends but you know if I could take on more of the workload and everything obviously as viewers we are completely clued into the fact that this is just a way for him to hack into the case and find out what they know and and that kind of stuff. on the new man's orders. Do you guys think that Ralph picked up on all that? Do you think he's going to allow Jack to infiltrate the case or is he going to manage to keep him out and keep him at an arm's length?
1: I don't think he
2: saw through it. What was Ralph
0: knowing? Yeah that's what I want to know. Do you think he saw through it
2: or not? I don't think he saw a threat. I agree with, with you and Paul there. I think his natural reluctance will come purely from what seems to be a dislike between these two versus some kind of sensing some kind of ulterior motive from Jack.
1: You want the context from the book real quick? The reason Jack does not like Ralph is that Jack was up for some kind of promotion within the past year or two. Part of that was like a peer review from the other detectives. And it's just Tamika and ralph i guess who
2: has a different name in the book
1: though right yeah it's betsy i think there's a there's a free response section for the assessment ralph just said no comment
2: <laughs> that he wrote uh, no opinion,
1: no opinion. That's right, no, no opinion. opinion. That's what Jack
2: in his and though it's supposed to be quote unquote confidential, Jack finds out about this because he did not get the the bump. squarely blames all of his failures on Ralph. I think he he begins calling him Mister No Opinion pretty consistently in the book. At yeah, point. he
1: he starts to devolve into just sort of that mindless hate that you find in a lot of King villains. There's no explanation for it here. They just kind of paint him as sort of a loudmouth redneck kind of guy. In the, in the TV show and there's a little more to it than that in the book let's
0: talk about other places that Gumin shows up in this episode okay. we were looking at Ralph's wife Jeannie and I thought oh wow we're gonna find out where like Jeannie works and stuff and then I'm like Boo, the dude is in the waiting room freaking me out and Jeannie as opposed to say other people zeroes right in on him And is, like, weary of him immediately.
2: What did you... I like
0: that. What did you guys make of that? Why did she recognize it? Whereas he's been in other groups of people all over the place. No one seems to notice him.
2: I liked it because of where she works. If they had told us before, I don't think I'd picked up on the... It seemed like someone who had done that job... Uh, She works at the New Leaf Recovery Center. You know, I got the impression she's some kind of counselor, probably some kind of court-go-between... For people going through sobering up programs, yeah, probably, you know, right. someone in that kind of job is going to be able to probably give you dead to right instincts on three different people wearing hoodies, which are the three are good, bad and evil, because I think that's just the kind of job that instills those kinds of instincts. I really like that, actually. This was my favorite part of the episode was all the G stuff.
0: I also thought that the way that everybody that Jeannie worked with had all this anxiety and grief just radiating off of them. Jeannie's whole job was to basically try to take the clients down from being as anxious as they were and being able to say like, hey, you know, you're doing a good job. You're going to meetings, really trying to support them. So it seemed like this place was like a great place for the outsider to be like chomping on grief and tear drinking. Everyone would. Well, yeah, everyone's head was hanging. What did you think about that part when she's trying to tell who she thinks is the outsider? What's going on here? And they actually touch his shoulder. Did you guys think it was going to be him? Not nah. him? What did you think?
2: I mean, no, he
1: was, he was sitting on the he wrong sitting,
2: side. Yeah. He was sitting in a different spot and his uh, hoodie was changed. Uh, when It was he like first, greenish, it, right? It was Instead green. The guy she wakes up is a green hoodie, but the one sitting in the room that was sitting on the side of benches facing her door wearing a gray hoodie which is what he was wearing when he was terry uh terry goo right right so no i didn't think but
1: i could see why she'd be freaked out in the moment there oh yeah
2: because again you know she had the instincts you know it wasn't i don't think she was picking up the instincts from the guy she woke up I think she was still vibing off of the bad feeling she got from when she first felt his presence.
0: Do you guys think it was effective to have the outsider just show up for that small, tiny moment in the daytime at Jeannie's office, knowing that Jeannie is going to become unnerved in some way, and in how it actually plays out, where she is distraught enough to go to bed early, to have this like question mark if she took any medication to go to sleep? Do you like how they assembled all these little nuggets to get to the point where it's like, like questionable about whether she saw the guy in the house at night or not. Did it work? Did it not
1: work? Totally worked. I mean, I, this is not Gooman's first rodeo, so he knows how to get in someone's head, and this is all Part of the game leading up to this—is it a dream? Is it Memorex, <laughs> or whatever that happens you, later on in the in this episode? So do yeah. Do you think
2: Gooman wears that big horse belt buckle when he goes to the rodeo? I have this great image in my head now of Gooman in his gray hoodie, you know, riding a bucking horse, wearing the belt buckle, trying to stay on for eight seconds. I don't know, <laughs> right? Because we know he's like he's a horse fan, right? Or you know, right. at least Terry, anyway. He was a horse. The fan. announcer
1: would say something like, "His face was like that before he no." <laughs> <laughs> He make, sure the he, make sure he signed the liability waiver. Right. Oh
0: my god. Caroline, I, I have a question good.
1: for you, because
2: you what? just triggered something in me and I wanna test I wanna test something you just said. You said and I had I did not pick up on this aspect of this, but I think you're probably right. You said that in her job you saw her picking these people up and trying to bring down their level of grief. And I think that was interesting phrasing because you remember right after Terry dies, Ralph has to go over and talk to Glory and the girls, especially I think it was after he wants their help. Jeannie invites herself to come along or does Ralph, I don't remember if Ralph asks her to come along, but she comes along. Yeah, right. And- Glory won't let Ralph talk to the girls. She decides to let Jeannie talk to them. And they form a kind of bond. And we see Jeannie go back over there again just by herself to talk to Glory. That's the scene where Glory talks about what a good father that Terry was. And they really kind of bond. You got me thinking now as to the question of why Glory wasn't affected or hasn't her family hasn't been taken down by the goo man. Is it possible that Jeannie, in her nature, has some, provided some kind of shield against that grief that the goo man can't penetrate?
0: It does seem seem like She seems like a threat to the Gooman. You might say, why would Jeannie be a threat? And so I think that's a really good theory that because she is a support person in the world. She would be a healer if this was like a Dungeons and Dragons. She's a healer. healer. Exactly. And so to that end, everybody else has really been like a little kid or in Tamika's case, another threat in terms of her actually trying to investigate what's going on with Jack. So yeah, I completely agree with you. I think that she does come in on the scene and even really with Ralph too, manages to continuously talk down and try to talk through things remember when they were at the cemetery and she was like you know put aside all the facts what does your gut tell you like she's a sounding board for everyone and helps everyone get through their anxiety and just focus on what they need to focus i mean that is a huge threat to him
2: she's definitely got the healer shields i really like that theory and i I think you know just storytelling wise i think that makes a lot of sense also that she is this unknowing naturalistic antidote you know garlic to his vampire you know as it were
0: let's talk a little bit about ralph and Jeannie and their dynamic during all of this. We have Ralph following up online with Maria's case and not really paying that much attention to Jeannie and what's going on and Jeannie doesn't really share that much with Ralph. Does that surprise you guys? Did you expect her to say, well, there's this weird guy in my waiting room and it really set me and like really describe it more kind
1: of did because I like this show and I think the writing is pretty good. That kind of information hiding for the sake of advancing the plot kind of shit is something that I associate with lesser shows (laughs) where they like, oh, they never told us that there were zombies. Why is this guy trying to bite my face off? You know, that kind of thing. Fear the Walking Dead's first season. Yeah. The
0: whole thing is they just never would tell each other all the information. Yeah. And had they just shared it, you know, everyone would have been on a completely different page. Yeah. I mean, this is one of those cases where, yeah, she doesn't say anything. Did you expect more to come of that? Or once she kind of like was like, well, never mind it. He wasn't really listening. Did you think that was it?
1: Well, they filled in some blanks of their relationship. It's still a little gray to me exactly what their full relationship looks like. But the death of their son was pretty recent in show time. The idea of them sleeping separately looks like a pretty normal, not an emergency or a problem kind of issue in their house. That sound right? Yeah.
0: And I mean, it makes sense. I mean, just from, you know, us being parents of any type of situation that's like very stressful. I feel like it's normal when the kids were really small. I mean, it, it wasn't which... We haven't really talked about it on this podcast, but we have three special needs kiddos. And certainly when they were in the NICU and stuff like that, you know, us falling asleep wherever we fell asleep and having our cry time wherever we had our cry time or whatever. Oh, well, you know, like no one's judging like, oh, you guys aren't sleeping in the same bed or, you know, like, who cares? We're just like dealing, you know? And that's basically where they are, like just dealing still. Do you guys think that Ralph was fair with any of the pull yourself together crap or was that Uh, such a fucking joke? uh... You know,
2: this plays into a big question I had. I understand disbelief. I understand not wanting to maybe buy into something. But when it's your wife, your wife, who is this rock of logic and grounding, how far is it believable to be a disbeliever? That was a question I was asking myself at the end of this episode with Ralph.
0: Assume you're zooming in specifically on the part where he pulls back the covers and her feet are bloody and she's telling him someone was in the house. I dropped the glass and all this kind of stuff like at that point. And also don't remember how
2: I got back in a bed and you know my my brain yeah. is foggy but i also remember very clearly someone got in here even though the alarm wasn't tripped i already checked that you know she's admitting all of the problems with her own story mm-hmm. and yet still saying this happened when it's claude or, or some you know tweaker on the street telling you that okay fine you don't believe them but when it's this rock next to you part of her whole thing is that you know, she tells it straight and you continue to not believe her.
1: Maybe that's an element of why this episode seemed to overstay its welcome in terms of where it comes in the story and how long we needed to dwell on these little bitty stories was just that Ralph is already showing signs of going along with an idea of something that he can't explain having something to do with this, even though he won't really say it out loud. He's still going to the cemetery and taking pictures when Holly asks for no reason that She'll give and that kind of stuff.
2: I feel like everything he did in this episode was basically this is the path of least resistance, slash, patting them on the head and telling them, okay, you know, like the way you would pacify, like the way you would look under the bed for like a child who was scared. But Um, I'm only
0: going to go medium on that because when he has his own free time, he chooses to go online and look up Maria's story. Nobody's making him, no one asked him to, no one told him to do that, no one knows he's even doing that. So there is little parts of him that are changing. What what came to a head for me, and I think I know for Paul, we both kind of looked at each other and we're like wait what when genie goes through the trouble of actually drawing the picture of the goo man and she goes into the urgent care and she gives it to ralph the fuck how does ralph not say this is the same picture that the kid who took the van drew crazy
1: coincidence but uh i've seen this before and
0: nothing like not even like his face didn't even make like a oh fuck face or a i mean i'm talking nothing And then he proceeded to not act like there was anything on that page that did do anything.
2: This persistent refusal to acknowledge what is right in front of your face just because it is not easily digestible is also a character trait in the book and just as annoying in the book, too. (laughs) Uh, You know, Holly has this concept of, and it's it's a... well-known quote when the impossible is all that's left no matter how improbable it has to be the truth if you've disproved everything else you have to believe in the unbelievable. I don't
0: understand how you wouldn't believe your wife who just drew that picture. Right. What what, what freaking, more does she need to what do? What motivation would she have to screw with you? And where would she get that image? You get what I'm saying? Like how, how do you even talk yourself out of making a connection? You're a detective. You have two pictures that are the same. How are you acting like they don't exist? It's just weird, you know? Yeah. It's not like a it's not like a story or a feeling or a you know, a myth or a fable. Like these are two tangible pieces of paper drawings that are the same. Did you guys think it was odd then that he turns and says to Uni to go run Claude's Prince?
1: I can't account for why he did. Was he just feeling like
0: he needed to do something? So this was like something? Because when Uni comes back and is like, nah, it didn't like match. It was like, yeah, I didn't think it would. What are you even doing? What is this? Ralph, what are you? you, Is it just trying to knock everything off? One
2: of my problems with this episode felt to me like it was kind of spinning wheels. And maybe this is the part that I was picking up on since I've watched it. You know, I watched it several days ago and and now, now thinking back on it, I can't remember exactly what made me feel that way kind of frustrated where maybe it's this this idea of Ralph is not moving forward you know Holly's definitely moving forward I mean she made great strides Jeannie is on board now Jeannie is she's down the clown with you know the goo man <laughs> Jack is moving along in his own story of fall in grace but Ralph is just still here and being like oh look at these two pictures that are identical okay you so know? I need
0: to talk about because I think this is also one of those like glaring I don't understand why they would play it this way Paul you had mentioned that Ralph was kind of begr- Grudgingly going along with some of this stuff and taking pictures at the gravesite at Terry's, right? Yes. So when they go out there and it's Uni and Ralph, they are just sort of just starting off, like standing up while the women are are kind of tending to the grave and sort of you know being a little bit more like nurturing about the space. How implausible was it that Uni we know had been at the barn before? He was there when they were discovering the clothes. <laughs> why would he just now make the connection that where he was standing is the same place where the barn was a hundred yards away with nothing between like sight lines that you couldn't just see it
2: maybe he approached from a southerly road to the I barn. i really don't first care time.
0: you guys this is the biggest <laughs> case that's going on you just were in the same location and i'm not saying he knew where terry maitland was you just you would make the connection as you were driving like wait we've just were here this is where terry's buried well this sure is odd not when you're already standing there <laughs> let,
2: let me stand fully upright
0: oh shit there's the barn you know <laughs> What i know what, <laughs> what? Gosh, what in the I, hell? I knew i
2: shouldn't walk bent over i miss so much
0: we're supposed to feel like uni is a higher level detective than Ralph, and this is the level of piecing it together that we're at.
2: And this motherfucker is the state police. This isn't some towny cop. This is the fucking GBI. I'm and, boggled uh,
0: by that. Do you guys don't, do you guys have any any idea of why they would make that happen the way that they did? It
2: makes more sense in the book because in the book this cemetery exists, but it's very much clearly stated that it's not where terry was buried that his wife buried him in the closer to town cemetery even though terry's family is from this area it was essentially an abandoned cemetery that no one ever went to so they stumble upon it and then there's a connection of oh shit that old cemetery that no one uses is by the barn here it's less defensible because it is where terry was buried and it's by the barn so that makes a little
1: less sense all that would they would have needed to do to to call attention to it and still have the exact same scene, but making Yoon a little more credible would be like, this is crazy, guys, but. The barn is right over there. You'll never imagine the coincidence, but that barn is right over there. Something that just made it sound like he had put it together on the way there in
0: his mind before just seeing it.
1: Yeah, right.
0: (laughs) You know, like that was too little, too late. Like, no, that's not good police work. That's just weird. You're in my car when I travel. It makes breadcrumbs that you can actually see on the map. I feel I mean, like Yoon's car would have been like, boop, 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 boop with like the same little dots. <laughs> hey, like, would you like you to return to the
2: barn here? that you've already been to? Yeah, I think it would have been funny if Yoon had stood up and looked forward and scratched his chin like something was like itching his memory, looked left, hmm looked right hmm, and then like really dramatically turned around and been like the barn fucking <laughs> <laughs> asshole like, what are you That's doing so
0: it just seemed odd well okay and here's another thing that I just I think it's a tiny nugget but it's something that I, I'm wondering about we haven't gotten into Holly's story yet but there was a comment that she makes in her story that draws into this she says that when the the tear drinker comes along that he kills the whole family and one of the things that was mentioned about this exact graveyard was that this is where Terry's people are these are where where they're at. If Terry dies first, he wanted to be here with his people. I wonder if this goes back further for the Maitlands, like if that barn has been here for a while and he possibly, Guman has possibly lived out there before, if there's any way that this cemetery has been affected and maybe even Terry's family, like Terry could be one of the last Maitlands to be killed and maybe that's why Lori and the girls haven't been affected because maybe we're on the end of a ripple that started a way long time ago for his people. There was something about coming back to his people and the idea of the Goomans slaying an entire family that felt like, hmm, that just feels connective to me. Hmm. Mull on it, boys, mull on it.
2: All right. I will mull on it. All right. For Goomans, I think Frankie Peterson's murder and then Terry's murder were the first two steps in what would have been like his next thing and then really straight up like girl interrupted shit. You know, I really think his whole plans were just thrown off the track.
0: I'm willing to be open-minded that a hundred years ago, because I think Gooman's been around since the beginning of time, Terry's people could have been affected at some other point in time. And he is just a continuation in the ripple.
2: That would be a really cool detail if, you know, there was a season. I, I doubt that's the kind of season one thing we get, but it would be awesome to get in like a season two thing to find out that there's actually a very small wheel of families he tracks But that he keeps revisiting them in different generations throughout, you know, throughout time and wreaking havoc. But not in a way that you would maybe notice unless you looked at it really, really carefully with this in mind. Right, because this doesn't
0: have to be always the pattern that he's had. It doesn't always have to have been, you know, a kid gets killed, someone's been in two places, blah, 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 because other things wouldn't have existed. If it was 100 years ago, video surveillance and fingerprinting and things that we have today wouldn't exist in the same way. So the pattern doesn't have to look the same in some sort of, you know, accused craziness. I I think you're right.
2: I think it's only because of modern policing stuff that we use that you can do. The person is in two places at once because you can somehow obviously recreate hundreds of thing fingerprints the way they talk about in the van somehow recreate their blood you know however that happens and other dna traces you know that's not stuff 200 years ago, even 100 years ago, you would have found at a crime scene to put someone in two places at once. I just
0: zoom in on that idea that, like, she didn't say, like, his parents are here. She said his people are here. And There's something about that that feels so much more, like, historical, generational, whatever, that just feels like, whoa, there's some history here. And I feel like that's something that Stephen King gets into and you guys can correct me because i'm not a king fan i am but i'm too scared by his stuff the idea that there could be almost like a curse that could pass on or that a family could have some sort of terrible thing that continuously seems to have this pattern of shit that continues to come back to it that would not be outside his realm
1: it wouldn't but in this case this what you're describing if that's true or if that's some way to parlay the work done this season into a second season would be a big improvement over what is presented in the book, because in the book, Gooman is basically an animal. I mean, he's intelligent, he has the process, he can do these things, but he just goes from situation to situation. He is, uh, very alone. He has no idea when he started or how much longer he can live. He's never met another person like him. He has, he has no idea what he is, where he comes from, anything like that. And he has no plan. He has just been doing this forever and he, that's all he knows.
2: I always, I got the impression that he really, really enjoys his work of murder and death. He's, he's very much a, a loner. I, there is even a whole conversation of about Have you found another one like me? Have you come across another one like me before? So yeah, he is a very solitary kind of creature with a very indeterminate existence. I
0: like very much that you guys are describing him like that because there's a small detail that I want to point out now that I want to ask you guys about. So we get introduced to an additional house, which is the Hofstetter's house, which is Heath's house. Yes. In that house, there is a Felix the Cat clock. Additionally, there's a Felix the Cat clock in the Peterson home that we're shown when the dad is going to commit suicide and he's like kind of gathering his stuff. You can see it on the wall. What's super interesting to me is exactly how you just described the outsider and the fact that he's like an animal who feels like he's just this isolated thing. He doesn't really have any connection, anything. That screams cat to me, like in such a major way. (laughs) And the whole idea of being this outsider, I did my little research and I told you guys, I was talking to you guys about this already. the idea that like felix the cat like the whole premise of that show was that he was continuously being put out like cast out from the house he was always having to try to prove himself or trying to figure out a way to get back in cats have nine lives you just said like seemingly an infinite life there's something about this idea of like cats having that toot of like i do what i want i'm i'm way independent i don't I don't have to conform to like what society's doing or whatever. There's something that's super interesting to me about that that I just want to keep like looking up and looking up. It's very I don't know losty to me. I like the
2: idea. I mean, interesting. If you if you enlarge the cat to something like a lion or some kind of jungle cat, it also plays into the carcass eating. And mm. the the way it kind of just uh, eats animals until it gets bored with them, which is also like not unlike a finicky cat. Um, it doesn't finish <laughs> its meals. Oh, I, I like that. I, I wouldn't mind um uh, going down that that path of trying to make more connections. I will tell you, I missed all of the cat clock stuff. I know, I know a lot of the message groups were talking about it, and
0: well, for me, I picked it up because we have that clock in our house. It's oh. in our kitchen, and so for me, I walk by that clock every day. So when I saw it on the wall. I was like, okay. And then when I saw it on the wall again in another person's house, I was like, wait, what? Weird. And I zoomed right in on it because ours is black and the one was green. And I thought, I never saw a green one before. And there was something about it that just really makes me wonder, what is it trying to tell us? And are they linked then? Is the Hofstetter house and Frankie Peterson's house, what What are we doing? You know, Or is it just reinforcing a pattern we already have been told?
2: It also may go to explain why Paul was cited in three different states last week at the the same time yeah which is interesting paul how are you in three <laughs> different places at the same at the same time well, as
1: long time? as there's a felix the cat clock i can go anywhere <laughs> uh, you just slip through his eyeballs yes. you're
2: a kitty cat portal i right. got it meow meow
0: that's bizarre a kitty cat portal gross y'all <laughs> i didn't
2: mean it like in a weird sexual way i mean well, he, was but going, now he was going it's in out and there. out of the cat now now, it's now you've there. made it weird now now you've, you've made, made it weird
0: really weird <laughs>
2: All no, right, so no. I
0: I am just curious. I'm, I want everyone to keep their little eyes peeled for all that stuff.
2: Before we move on to, I think, the last part of the story, we're in, can we quickly just talk about what we think the show is getting at with these Derek flashbacks? You know, we had the one last week with Ralph losing his shit at the bar and going to Poundtown on that guy. Really Is unprovoked that what kind of
0: means. No, I'm 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 taking fight? it back.
2: I'm I'm, I'm reclaiming <laughs> the word for a violence way. Oh, okay. Uh, like, he I'm like he literally pounded to on pound the guy. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. He like literally beat on the guy. You know, with his right. anger. In this one we had the much more heartbreaking version of that, where seemingly Jeannie couldn't get out of bed after Derek. And and Ralph, you know, being bedside and then kind of losing his cool with her and stuff. And she with him. And is this just for character development, do you guys think? Or is there some deeper meaning you think the show is taking us to with these flashbacks? Can
0: I twist it just a little and ask you guys, is Derek's ghost a twist good... Twist it, but don't make it weird. Oh, I'm going to make it super weird. Is Derek's ghost a good force or or not? You guys know what i mean yeah, by that like a, a ghostly force that is a positive force or is it
1: like a yoda or luke yeah. skywalker force or, ghost. But,
0: or is sure. it more like making the grief worse or what
1: well I mean, think the the grief is pretty bad we, we've seen him just lay down for portions of the show he just can't deal the, the fact that this goes to saying let me go that's positive but the fact that he's appearing at all isn't that good
0: (laughs) ghost showing up ever seems like a negative situation but i do want to talk about that concept because ghosts have shown up in other stephen king novels and they have been positive like we were talking about in pet cemetery pascal comes back and he is there on multiple occasions especially when he comes to try to warn Rachel the wife and say like hey you need to get back you need to you know gives gives her the, the wiggity vibe so do you think possibly Derek is gonna end up being used as some force from the other side some some more all knowing information could come through
2: him. If- was the Derek vision goo man's work or was it just driven by his uh, you know internal pain that he's not yet moved off of? So
0: good or bad is it a good force or is it a manipulated force?
2: I feel like if it's, if it's not not being driven by the goo man you know if it's not an equivalent to tamika seeing the goo man quote unquote in her dreams then i think it's a good force i i think if it's the goo man who is causing it to happen i think it's a bad force i think this story is a very black and white good versus evil kind of story so you're either helping slash protecting your loved ones or you are a plaything of the goo man and trying to cause harm
0: is he good or is he being served up by the goo man to like taunt him? I don't
1: know that this manifestation is goo related except for maybe just stress to Ralph kind of causing that sort of thing. But I do like where Mike was headed with his original question about why bother? I mean, we've stated before that Derek has just gone to camp In the book. And he's just gone at camp the entire time. He calls home and says, I want to come home a couple of times. They never let him come home.
2: Derek experiences the story and learning about this beloved coach being one accused of a crime and being killed, but he experiences it as a never seen disembodied voice away at camp which drives a lot of ralph's actions i don't know if it drives it but it's definitely a factor in ralph's actions trying to keep his son away from the town and
1: fortunately they found a camp that seems to run for about six weeks
2: (laughs) sleep away with no breaks and they never send your kids home yes pretty convenient so then the question is why
1: kill him in the show and initially that created a lot of pathos for ralph like lot of backstory that just sort of instantly gives him a lot of emotional weight that wasn't there in the book. So that felt good. But I think you're asking, can they go further? And You could actually get Ralph to maybe do something out of normal character if somehow the Gooman maybe mentions or even, God forbid, takes the form of his son. That would really fuck with him in a pretty great way for TV purposes.
2: That gives an in around the genie shield. The genie shields we were talking about before, that would give an in susceptibility to control. Ralph, you know, you you would imagine he would be inclined to follow the ghostly wishes of his son, of his dead son, who he's still not processed his death. I actually had a different take on why we're still seeing it. We were talking about how there's something different between anger and grief, how they don't evoke the same emotion or the same things that maybe would get the goo man off. It occurred to me watching this, Jeannie and Ralph's grief is a very different kind of grief than everyone else in the story who we see grieving, because... Their grief is not related to the Goo Man, and it was not related to a human being harming in a horrendous, heinous way a child. This was a natural cause's death, as horrible as cancer is. It was not a violation against their son, and it also happened before the Goo Man was in town. So their grief that they're going through is an old grief. I feel like maybe the goo man can't tap into. He can't that he can't enjoy their grief because it's not it's not a goo man approved flavor of the Can
0: I piggyback on you on that and say not only that, but it's um it's not a pure grief at this point. They are still in the stage of anger really not accepting that Derek is gone and so by having Derek come and say you need to let me go that actually opens the door to strictly grieving not sitting there still wanting him to be there it's like those are like earlier stages of grief it's not Mm -hmm. like the pure sorrow side of grief it's still like the anger and the violence and the aggression and everything
2: they're in the depression and acceptance part of dabda
0: as you're trying to get through the acceptance right and so if they can get through acceptance then they will be in that pure that more pure i think edible for the tear drinker grief (laughs) that is actually more like tasty i guess i want to say
2: yeah well I, i think also the grief he causes the chaos that he causes is the one that is the kind of grief that's particularly palatable. The one the the grief he sets in motion seems to be what gets him off. You know, he's not we don't see the Goo man going off to Chilean mines when they cave or to Japanese tsunami sites when, you know, horrible earthquakes happen and and hundreds and thousands and millions of people die. He's soaking up the grief, drinking the tears of his own chaos that he's caught. Mm -hmm. Okay,
0: interesting, interesting. Guys, let's get into Holly because she is a big part of this story and I feel like she has some very specific king moments in this that I want to ask you guys about. Let's start with her getting back to the bartender. What do we think about using this bartender device again?
1: If she's on the autism spectrum, it's kind of a broad way of kind of fitting in that mold in terms of like having a pattern finding comfort in the pattern it's it's probably too broad to say that the bartender doesn't even need to be the same bartender for the stim to basically work but this is tv so that's how it would
2: work like that and i like that we got a name for the bar i thought it was a nice i thought it was again i thought it was just good kind of story what was her name sky mm. sky
0: okay well so here's the thing about that though also i go with you on the pattern because she when she's back in her own hometown she chooses to stay in the bar and hang out in the bar. And in That's her own seat. I mean, mm-hmm. she has
2: to sit in her own seat. Remember, she, right. She, so she, the like,
0: idea that then she has the same, you know, she's in Dayton, but now we're back to bartender. Was it all too convenient that the bartender had an awful lot of answers and like nail on the head answers?
2: But did she, though? Or did she just give the folksy wisdom that TV has always given to bartenders? If you meet... Not like in a fancy bar, but like your local bar. The kind of relationship you do get with a bartender who who is so inclined to be that way. Like, she has pretty general things. Like, I think she took the information she was picking up from Holly and generated it in a way like she could understand. Like, coming up with a tear drinker, asking where the Niagara Falls would be. I, I didn't take that to be so much an answer as kind of a spiritual signpost. You know, just kind of generally pointing in a direction. Interesting. Okay. And kind of painting, okay. it,
1: painting it to look like just verbal riffing (laughs) with with another person like she doesn't really understand what she's talking about but she's just bouncing back ideas because that's what bartenders do they keep talking
0: i mean it was a really important like couple sentence you know conversation really because she gets tear drinker out of it and she gets pointed to the cemetery
1: so i think she was doing
2: some word association
0: all right let's shoot into holly and andy because i want to talk about the this twosome and what's going on with what do we think about Holly and Andy? And are we still feeling like Andy is a good guy or not? Because when that call comes from the lobby, our closed caption said ominous music on the TV. And the whole time that Andy was talking to her, it was ominous music. And I was like, oh boy, is Andy a good guy or
1: not? I think he's a good guy.
2: I think he's a good guy. He is going to be an unfortunate casualty in the show because he finds what I thought improbably he finds Holly's timesheet note uh, improbable because it, it seems improbable to me that Holly leaves that behind. A hundred
0: percent really bothered me. What the me, frick?
2: Really bothered me. But the way he picks it up and it has just enough information to make this ex-cop's wheels turn really put like he might as well have been wearing a red shirt getting ready to go on an away <laughs> mission. I really, I really <laughs> felt like
0: that bothered he, me so much because Holly is absolutely. I I turned to Paul and I said isn't she hired on for this case? And, he, and, and you said, yes, Paul. And I was like, there is no freaking PI in the world that is leaving a piece of paper in the trash like that. Like you would have a folder or a notebook or whatever that you would go show your paying client, your evidence. Why, what? That makes no sense. And her OCD nature
2: that's it what I was picking up on. No sense. It wasn't. I mean, I think there are plenty of slovenly PIs out there. That I think there are plenty of people one. people involved in this case. Maybe even that may have left that sheet behind by accident. But not Holly Gibney. That we have seen so far. Her OCD, her attention to detail, everything about her screams like she may be a a, a goo person at this point. If she's leaving that stuff behind, because and it's not like it was just scribble notes. Like the interval week, the interval times is a really important part of the case and idea that she's working on. The incubation periods and and everything. like That's pretty crucial, I think, to to how she's approaching all of these interrelated cases. Mm -hmm.
0: Did they need to make them sleep together? Was that a thing? And is that going to come back to haunt us?
2: I didn't catch all of what was on the note that she left for him, but it said something like, I'll always remember you, so don't forget it. That's what it looked like it said to me.
0: I think it said, don't forget me. And then it just said H.
2: Which made it seem like she banged him because she wasn't planning on seeing him again. You know, Mm -hmm. like it looks like it sounds like she's getting ready to leave Dayton after she does the last couple of Niagara Falls tear hunting.
0: Do you think then she purposely left her note behind knowing he would then continue to follow her path
1: maybe hoping because i don't know about knowing that seems really contrived Can, and very unlike her character
2: there's no aspect of her character that they've shown us that i think would allow her to do that knowingly
0: are you guys familiar with the idea of leaving behind an earring yes are you paul
2: uh, only from tv and movies. so for, if for you guys were... it's like your tie or like you know something
0: like right that. and if you're holly maybe it's a note like your notes a pad from, like, a thing from, and I don't mean the note she left him to say, like, bye, but I mean, like, a piece of your evidence. Sure. Is it possible that that is, like, a little, mm?
2: What you're saying, though, if that's what we're saying, is that she is putting her personal, emotional, sexy time feelings above the case, and that really doesn't strike me how she is, does it? Does that, does that jive with anything we've seen of her now in the other four episodes? Three episodes. I don't know. I think that in? if
0: she was like so strictly about the case, she wouldn't have invited him up. Like she, you wouldn't even go there. If, it, if she was like that OCD and that just like, nope, I'm working a case and that's it. Then I just don't think, I think she would have been like, oh, you know, we'll make contact with you when the case is over or something. So, but she, go, so she goes she from there him. to
2: leaving her notes behind? I don't know. I, I think no, your not original. not notes.
0: Just equate it to the earring. Equate it to the earring, not notes, not a bunch of stuff, just enough to keep a connection.
2: Only if it turns out she had an extra copy of it, and that was a backup copy she made specifically for that purpose. That I would buy.
0: Well, you know she knows those dates and shit in her head now. That, that's still, that still
2: bothers me that she left the piece of paper behind, though. That. That's a very specific detail. I would like it a lot more, and I would actually get fully behind it if she went through the trouble of making duplicate copy of the notes so that she could allow herself to leave one behind. Someone who has the idiosyncrasies that she has would not let her leave that piece of paper behind randomly on the side of a drawer. I, I just...
0: Dude, it wasn't randomly. His phone was sitting right there. So she, it was like. It's like... A little breadcrumb, like he had to walk over and get his phone when he got his phone, his eyes hit the paper,
1: yeah, I don't like that I, I think I, I think it's all to serve a tragedy later <laughs>
0: to have Andy continue oh, yeah. with the story right all tragedy
2: to you know wind up Dan- Andy having a very emotionally compelling and yet gruesome death yes, exactly. Uh, what did you think of the introduction of this new Jack character, this jack light character and light I mean personality wise our more sympathetic, empathetic version of a Jack-like character in episode five, literally halfway through the show. Um, a character we hadn't seen before, heard about, or otherwise had any whiff of I, showing
1: I, up in this I episode. I thought that, I mean, the way that they created the show by showing the ending first, but only in sound and all that, that's a cool way to make a show. I mean, stylistically, it stands out from the, from the rest of them, and, and I don't know that that's terrific it seems like a way that you might do a more procedural cop show by the time i was done i was wondering why are we still dicking around in dayton basically you know fooling around with finding jack lights and and things like that yeah since he's not going to figure into the story anymore and we basically already knew enough about the pattern i don't know why we needed this bit of story
0: well here's what i'm gonna throw out i think i'm and i'm calling him the bedmaker because that's what Holly calls him. I feel like that he represents the end of a circle for when the Gooman comes into the scene. So he comes in and he's got like the Heath character or the Terry character. And then he has this periphery person, Jack or the Bedmaker. And what we're learning is that the Bedmaker was left behind. And left behind with a lot of regret. And left behind as like a husk of a person knowing that he contributed to this situation, and that's why this all happened. So to me, it was actually showing the tail end of what is this cycle of a goo man enters and a goo man leaves. The last part of that is the character of the bedmaker and or Jack will get there. Becomes this just like someone who was taken advantage of, knows he was taken advantage of, and is now so distraught and, and in remorse that he was a part of any of this
1: yes i think that that's all good kind of got where i needed with the information being generated by heath's story to at this point already like i i knew what i needed already and i didn't i don't need more details if they you know like if next week there's more about his grandma or something like that i just I, I don't need it anymore. I'm, I'm good.
0: Interesting. See, I thought also by showing Heath's story like this and going back and having the bedmaker go back to the cemetery, we were able to pick up other parts that I think we would have bitched about if we weren't able to see this. Obviously, it, it allowed Holly to make this connection that there was some sort of abandoned building or something that the Gumen has to live in that's near to the cemetery. And by following the bedmaker, that gave us the, the path to be able to see where the person was buried and the proximity to something abandoned.
2: I, yeah, I disagree. I, I the Holly that we have seen so far in the show, though, st- she was already at the cemetery. She came upon the cemetery because of the conversation with the bartender. Uh, uh, so she already found the cemetery. She would have put the pieces together of the buildings um, without having to follow this guy. I, It was just, it was so unnecessary. It really bothered me. I found it really lazy storytelling. Everything you said about the story and the cycle, I agree with you. And it's something I want to know. But we're going to get that, I hope, through the Jack story. Because we saw Jack before, a little bit who he was. We saw him get attacked. We're seeing him change. I presume over the next five episodes, we'll see the completion of his cycle and what's left. See, but um, normally
0: when we get this type of stuff where they do show a bedmaker kind of situation, where they show you the end of the cycle, that means we're not going to see the end of the Terry cycle, which actually probably allows us season two.
2: Uh, then you're definitely going to be he- hearing me bitch about that in episode 10, <laughs> because I didn't give a shit about this guy. I don't care about Heath's story. Like Paul said, everything I needed to know as, f- as relates to the death of Frankie Peterson and the subsequent death of Terry Maitland... I've gotten out of Dayton and I got out of New York. I didn't need any more information. I'm glad. Interesting.
0: So you're still stuck on that. This is like Terry's story.
2: That's the epicenter of the story. Yeah, I don't. All of of the extra stuff. uh, Holly's journey up the chain. Either they have to make it. She continues to investigate up the chain to see where it starts from. Or she has to come home and the story has to continue to move from Georgia to wherever it's going to wind up going. Uh, enough in Dayton. The Hofstetter story is very sad, but it doesn't add to our understanding at all. It doesn't. It, in in no way make the show eight episodes instead of ten, and let's get let's get it moving. Don't give me a half episode of filler about a character you're gonna introduce and kill in the same episode that I don't give a shit about. If if you I had introduced totally if you had introduced this in the episode where we introduced the heath story i would probably feel very differently about because i would be invested now three episodes at the halfway point of the series you know i very much liked the Heath the heath story i was very into his jail story and that whole episode and the way we learned about it unraveling his family i think that was super interesting it was introduced early you made us care about it i don't know who the fuck this guy is and he's dead by the end of the episode anyway. When I go to sit down and watch episode six, I'm not gonna remember this guy because I don't give a shit. Make it one less up if you have to fill time in the middle of your okay, season. Okay, hold on. Can I yeah.
0: answer some of these? Because I totally yeah, have to. Please, some please.
2: I know I'm on a little bit of a rant here. It really bothered. It really annoyed me. <laughs> no, I know it does. I, yeah. And
0: and and I, I kinda like I feel very genie-esque and like I wanna be like, listen, let me tell you why it's okay. So grief, one of the things the grief. Listen, one of the things that happens is that Holly is going doesn't tell Ralph everything over the phone and says, I want to tell you in person what I found. Her car breaks down, but breaks down because she's in traffic. Why is she in traffic? Because Bedmaker has killed himself and all the emergency shit is blocking the way. This is a a pattern in the King stories. Like you have um, from The Shining. Do you remember Dick Holleran trying to get to the, that's like the caretaker of the hotel when it's not being taken care of by the Nicholson clan and he gets like the phone gets cut off and then the storm keeps him from getting there or going back to pet cemetery rachel's trying to come home the car get doesn't work she ends up trying to, it breaks down she has to try to get there another way this is like a this is a thing where it's like elements continue to stop the the good people from getting the story over And maybe this seemed convoluted to you in that, you know, gosh, you had to put all these pieces in place to block Holly. But it did block Holly. She didn't get to Ralph. She didn't tell him what was happening over the phone. And not that I think Holly's out of the picture and, like, it's totally over, but it is creating more time. And all he apparently needs is 20-some days. And so if it just buys him another couple days or whatever to get a little further away or do more damage... I think that that's part of it. And it also allowed us to go into Heath's house and see more things. Have her, like, open the door and have that whooshing sound come through. Which I know you guys will say, well, she was going to look in this house anyway. But I think that the bed made thing added a layer of, like, there's other people involved with this outside of just, like, the Terry or the Heath. There's, like, other layers of people. That allowed Holly to know that there were other layers, which hopefully says there's a pattern here. Who's the layer for Terry? If if Bedmaker was a layer for Heath, who is the layer for Terry? And maybe that'll allow them to uncover Jack. So I saw a lot of good in it. I wasn't annoyed by it. I thought there was a lot happening. Paul, you'll have to be the tiebreaker.
2: I, you have a much more optimistic take. And may, I mean I hope you're right. Did you uh, like any
0: of my stuff? I mean, the the not being able to get there and the not being able to share the news, like that's like a lot of what happens in King.
1: Stories? no, you're
2: I mean you're absolutely you're absolutely right but um you know I would have been much more entertained with a tornado that dumped a <laughs> cow in her path you know and and Holly driving down the road and it's like cow and and driving out of the way you know But I, the goo
0: man caused the bedmaker's action. Yeah, His actions care. on the bedmaker caused it.
1: I don't care I'm done with Dayton. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right Paul go. So
1: that I also did not need any more deets on Heath like if she goes back to New York now to get some more yeah. from up there, that'd yeah. be like, uh, where's the show going?
2: I think everything you said is is correct, but I think all of it is also just a justification for why this was here. I think if this if all of that stuff was not in this episode and the season was nine episodes instead of ten, I don't think at any point do you sit down and think to yourself, I wish we had spent another day in Dayton and found the Jack to the, you know, found the Jack character in the Heath Hofstetter story. I, I don't think anyone thinks that. Okay. You know, it was, it, it was like, um, it was like getting like a piece of food that you didn't realize you wanted. And afterwards, you're like, yeah, all right. And I didn't really need it. You know, like, I wouldn't have missed it had I not gotten it.
1: All um, right,
0: move on, Paul, move
2: it on. Get off my lawn, you you kids. Clouds.
1: She's not going to New York. She will drive herself to Georgia for the debrief.
0: Okay, so one more just like random little nugget that I want to throw out there that I I appreciate that they've maintained in the story is this layer of how these situations affect on a different level. So like in the Terry story, we had the girls being basically kicked out of school but then we also had, when Jeannie and Glory were down by the gravesite, how Terry's name placard had been defaced. And how, you know, that that was like adding like another layer of, I'm not sure what, just impact, I guess, of the goo man's actions. And then when we went to Heath's and we saw how his entire house had been vandalized and like graffiti all over it. I appreciated the consistency of the like societal harassment that continues way beyond just the death of the child and the, and, and the, um, you know, innocent person being accused, but these other layers that keep piling Mm -hmm. up. Did you guys note any of that or care? Do you care that that exists? Oh, uh,
2: no, I definitely liked it. I liked it that there's so much grief generated by this that even the goo man himself can't eat all of it. You know, there's still these lingering effects months later of what happened in Dayton and what happened in New York. And the goo man's been long gone from there, you know, but the ripples still continue to turn and burn. No, I very much like that. I think we got that from the other episodes, but, and, you know, I think we definitely (laughs) picked that up. I think we definitely picked that up in Holly's wanderings of the town. Uh, I, I think that's a great detail. I think it's a really good statement about the effect of, grief that you can't really contain it it really does grief and anger really has its mind of its own and even the person who puts it into motion can't necessarily stop it when he's had enough fill of it you know it just continues until it goes and it goes and it burns you know the idea that makes of-
0: me think just when you just said that it made me think of ralph's unintended consequences of arresting Terry in front of everybody and how the mob mentality then takes over and there's all these repercussions for that that he didn't intend That's kind of makes me think of like the house being vandalized at Heath's or the gravesite being vandalized like those are unintended and probably to the goo man who gives a shit consequences but I don't know that's a funny little like parallel of like I can't think of other characters who have been presented like that except for Ralph's actions
2: the musical rent which is a, a favorite of mine there's a the story plays out over the course of one year and towards the end of the second act one of the characters sits back and reflects about all of the shit that's happened because of certain very specific things that happened at the very beginning of the show I found myself watching the outsider thinking back a lot to the idea that if ralph just hadn't arrested him and made such a show of it on the field mm-hmm how little of what has happened in the show would have happened or happened in the same way? I, I think a lot, I think a lot of life is like that, but I think that is definitely a big takeaway of this. And I, I would hope for Ralph, I imagine for Ralph when he lays awake at night, it's definitely something that he must be thinking about. If I had just done that one thing differently, how much would all of this been different in how it played out?
0: I think that's something that I want to ask our listeners. That if do you guys think that that was is that a little linchpin moment for Terry's story, and could it can is there anything Ralph can do? Is this like is, can we learn any lessons, or is this just like you done fucked up, Ralph, and you ruined this entire situation? What do you guys?
1: Well, that's guys the that is, that is the plot. That, like, that is the, the plot of the show is him atoning for something he knows he did wrong. In, in in no world does a detective team up with his Terry's defense attorney to try to solve this crime like that like is being done in this in this show so you got to imagine like like the the need to sort this out and and clear Terry's name if it needs to be cleared um the drive for that has got to be immense because I just don't see a real person doing that. This is
2: the halfway point of the season. I think going forward, this show needs to get Holly back to Georgia. And then together, the brain trust, the enlarged brain trust, you know, really begins the, the end game, you know, story, or at least the season one end game story hunt of figuring out what this thing is, and then be hunting it and or killing it. I How think- do you
0: trap a gooman? That's a big question.
2: Uh, paper, I would imagine.
0: (laughs) Maybe. I mean, it almost seems like, yeah, I need some, like, ectoplasm or something. You need
2: a goo stick. To spray on it,
0: right? (laughs) Something, something. How, I mean, how does this move forward? I mean, so she comes back and she tells her stuff and they say, okay, it's a pattern. Yep, other people have been wrongly accused. So what? Where do we go from here?
2: Holly has to convince them and then they have to come up with a plan based on that which she you know gets them on board with that is the story the story is you know i think the actual eventual capture and or killing of the goo man is very short i think the majority of the story is how do we do it so
1: i i can't even begin to speculate how
2: how they're going to go about that
0: it's like how do you solve a problem like a Gooman?
1: the whole next episode mm-hmm. might be convincing ralph I don't think it matters if they convince everybody else. It won't be like a quorum. (laughs) Until they get Ralph, then the story won't move forward.
0: I think you're right on that because Uni has been very clear with his little spiel about dreams and that dreams mean things. I think that he is going to be an easy sell. And I think that, you know, the Alex, the P.I. guy, I think is going to trust Holly and be like, you know what, I, I trust her. Howie is probably a little more questionable to me. But Ralph, yeah, he's going to be the big fat holdout here.
1: Yeah, I think. So. Well, yeah. So I think we're going to burn a whole episode on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at least one. Yeah.
2: At least one.
0: Well, okay. And, and they- then
2: Holly, and then Holly's going to fly him up to New York, and <laughs> she's going to walk around the cemetery with him, and they're going to go into Maria's house, and they're going to find a guy folding laundry, and then that person will be killed at the end of that episode. <laughs> You've gotten cynical, Mike. I got jokes.
0: You've gone rotten. He's deteriorating into a gooman. I might
2: be a gooman. man. I, you know, I had the scratch on me. I've been
1: scratched. Jesus. Fart happening already (laughs) I'm very hopeful things are going to be as compelling as they are in the book or maybe even better so we'll see you next time this is Paul from Daily Review
0: this is Caroline from Daily Review
1: and this is Mike from Pop Culture Review thanks thanks for listening thanks thank you for listening
2: this has been an original Pod Clubhouse production Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at PodClubhouse. Our DMs are always open and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.